On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Thank you, Bruce. Do not forget or do not, donut, forget your donut. Yeah. Sign up now. Sign up now. In fact, sign up during the sermon. It's going to be a boring one today. I'll just give you a heads up so you can go up there and sign up for the retreat. Okay. Imagine with me just for a moment. Uh, yes, are you the uh, are you the mortician here at this funeral home? I uh, I'd like to talk to somebody, uh, somebody that's already lived life and died. Do you have any uh, Do you have any bodies in the back that I could talk to? Well, I know it's a little weird. I know that, but I just have some questions I have to wrestle with. So, can you can you take me to one? Okay. How, how do I how do I open the casket? Could you leave us alone for a few moments? This is kind of personal. Hey, buddy, I'm having troubles with my marriage. I don't know what to do. Can you give me some advice? Can you help me out? Uh, what's my next thing I should do? Not trying to be insensitive to those of you that have lost loved ones. I too have lost a wife. I know exactly what it feels like. Um, trying to illustrate something. <laughs> when I was brand new as an ordained minister, I did my first baptism. And I uh, was nervous, as you can imagine. Theology wasn't the issue. Learning how to do a baptism was the issue. And so we were in Germany, and we were, we were baptizing a whole bunch of soldiers. And uh, this is what happens behind the scenes in pastoral ministry that most of you never get to see. I'm going to give you a glimpse. So I had a young couple that they were going to go first, and I said that I wanted the husband to go first so that he could hold a towel for the wife. And he said... Remember, I'm working with soldiers. Anybody here, former military? Former Navy? Let's see. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, working with soldiers. I love them. They're great. 
And he said, uh, no, I don't want to, no, she said, I don't want him to go first, I want to go first. And I said, why? And she says, he's going to pee in the baptistry. <laughs> he's not going to pee in the baptistry, you know? So we get there, and the church is packed, absolutely packed. We have a whole bunch of these guys. He's walking down into the water. Mike's on this side. He leans on this side and said, I'm going to pee in the water. Just get in the water. So normally when I baptize, I, I illustrate you have died to sin and you're alive in Christ. Romans 6. Well, but now I'm all flustered. It's my first baptism. So I put him in the water. I said, you've died to Christ. Dead to Christ. Wait, that's not right. And I'm holding him in the water while I'm thinking about what to do. <laughs> dead, dead, to, dead to Christ. I'm nervous as could be. And by this time, everybody's doing what you're doing. And he's thinking I'm doing this on purpose. And I finally said, no, 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 dead to sin, that's it. And alive to Christ. And everybody starts applauding. All that to say, when you look at the concept of death in the Bible, it's very complex. It's, it's a metaphor that captures so many nuances, depending on where you look. It's, it's that way on purpose. And so the question I want to raise with you today is, uh, what does it mean to come alive? What does that look like? We started this series, Life Outside the Cage, two weeks ago when I brought up the uh, circus and asked how many of you had seen the animals in the cages back when we used to have circuses. And is that what God created those angels for? I mean, those animals for? To live in those cages? Uh, no. They don't know any better, but that's not what they're created for. Um, and that's what, that's what it looks like for us before we turn to Christ. We live in a cage. And we looked at John 3 in the story of Nicodemus that when we turn to Christ, the cage door opens. Last week we looked at John 4 and the Samaritan woman, and there I kind of used the metaphor of life inside the cage is really... One big selfie. Well, I've got to get a picture with these instruments here. Ooh, I've got to get the mountains in the background. And as we step out outside the cage, we begin to see beyond ourselves into a whole different world. And all of a sudden, we're taking pictures that are a little more panoramic. We start to see things. That's what life outside the cage is like. The problem is we don't know what life outside the cage is. We all live inside the cage. That's why the subtitle is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because God gave us a spirit specifically to help us understand and guide us one step at a time as we take these steps outside the cage. As we leave the cage behind, we're not alone. We have God himself indwelling us in the form of the spirit, his spirit. So all summer long, we're going to take a look at the various ways that the Holy Spirit guides us. And today, we're raising the question of coming alive. You're coming alive. What does that mean? I can tell you this, it is not easy. It's not easy. And so we're in John 6. Now, here's where they had come from. At the beginning of John 6, Jesus had fed the 5,000 with basically nothing. Now we think that, wow, if I got to see that miracle, I'd believe. Would you? They didn't. And then all of a sudden, he walks on the water. 
there's another miracle. And they're going, well, wow, if I saw that, I'd believe. Would you? They didn't. So then they decide to ask him this question. Verse 28, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Now think about the impact of that question. That's honestly at the back of many of our minds. Want to please God, right? So what does he require? What are the works that he requires? So Jesus says the work of God is to believe, believe in the one he has sent. It's pretty simple. Same answer we give to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he did what? Say it. Sent his only son, that whoever believes in him. That's Jesus' answer. What must we do to do the works that God requires? Boy, that's a good answer for the Pharisees and for you. We tend to ask these questions, don't we? And so, the work of God is to believe the one whom he has sent. So, they one-up him a little bit. Okay, then what sign will you give us? He gave manna to our our ancestors in the desert. What sign are you going to give us? As it is written, they said, they quoted the Bible, One thing that we learn from the Bible is never go toe-to-toe with Jesus in the Bible. He's got it figured out. That's what the Scripture said. He gave us bread to eat. So Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father with the true bread from heaven. And he goes through and explains, I am the bread of life. So what do they do? Of course, being the responsive people, they began to grumble. Verse 41, it's just the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They start grumbling. So he says, stop grumbling among yourselves. Verse 43, no one can come to me unless the Father sent him draws them. I'll raise them up on the last day. And he says again, I am the bread of life. What do they do? They turn to him in belief. Nope. They don't. They began to argue among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? At no, at no point are they following him. At no point. They are, they are grumbling and complaining and arguing and disbelieving and challenging and testing him every step of the way. So Jesus goes on with that very interesting passage. Very truly, I tell you, verse 53, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. It's pretty simple. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. He goes on later on and talks about belief is feeding on me. This is the true bread that comes from heaven. Now, there's been a lot of church arguments throughout history on these ideas. We're not going to get into that. You come from various traditions, so you know what they are. You know what your traditions believe. So, on hearing this, verse 60, many of the disciples said, this is really hard teaching. It is, isn't it? Who can accept it? Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Now, keep in mind, during the Passover season, they were focusing on Moses and his ascent to go up and get the law. That was part of their their festival. So Jesus chose, 
if you saw the Son of Man ascend, would you believe? In other words, what he's saying is, would this satisfy you? Would this be enough? Now, they've already seen all those miracles. They saw the 5,000. They saw the walking on the water. They saw the miracles. And he said, and you still don't believe. Would this satisfy you? Little did they know that's exactly what was going to happen in the resurrection. But here he's he's teasing them a little bit. What's it going to take? What's it going to take to satisfy you? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. There he explains the bread of life sermon. It's not the bread. It's not the bread that gives life. We're going to celebrate communion in just a few moments. It's not the eating of the bread that gives life. It's the Spirit that gives life. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you, no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled me of them. Okay, let me give you a picture of what coming to life is like. How many of you have ever had a leg or an arm go to sleep? That's probably most of you, right? Okay. When you move it and it starts to wake up, is that comfortable? It's not, is it? You see, the process of coming to life, we tend to use language of joy, and I get it. It is joyful, turning to Christ, being let out of the cage. But when you start to step out of the cage and you start to come alive, you know what? It's painful. You know why? Because for the first time in your life, you begin to realize what Christ died for. Am I really that way? Am I really a sinner? Am I really that type of person? And then from then on in life, it's just a, it's, it's, it is a journey. It takes a lot of time where you begin to become aware, and that's part of the journey to humility. Many years ago now, some of you older will get it, you had the movie The Matrix. The two brothers that wrote it, they asked them, where'd they get this incredible story? Science fiction story, they said, right out of the Bible. It's the best science fiction book ever written. Remember the, some of you that go back, when he woke up, took the pill, and when he wakes up, and the first thing he sees is all the thousands and thousands of uh, captive people, That's a picture. They got it. Waking up. Waking up. It brings joy and it brings freedom. But you know what else it brings? In the process of bringing life, circulation starts to work again. And it's uncomfortable. There's no one that should be able to talk about humility as well as a Christian. No one. There's no one that should be able to talk about their sin as good as a Christian. No one. We of all people know what we are like, don't we? You know what you're like, don't you? You look in the mirror every day. You know the deepest, darkest secrets. It's no longer hidden to you. You're no longer immune to it. So when the cage gets open and we take that first step, one of the very first things we learn is that it really isn't about me. It's no longer a selfie. And then we begin to exercise the body parts and it gets a little uncomfortable. And this story captures that. They grumble, 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 grumble. Look at what he says next. 
he turns to the 12 and says, do you want to leave too? This is a test. Peter gives the best answer we have as Christians. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe. That means that it's a process. We are coming to believe that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus adds two little verses at the end here which are very significant. Have I not chosen you the twelve, yet one of you is a devil? He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. So Judas and Peter become pictures all the way throughout John of those who keep turning to the Lord and those who don't, who grumble and complain and fight and challenge and test and argue and resist. Which one are you? By the way, the story of John is written specifically, I believe, um, with this in mind that each of the minor characters, each of the characters that John portrays, he writes about them in such a way that you naturally say, I want to follow this way or this way. So who do you want to follow? Peter? It's a painful process. It's not easy coming to life. It's not easy stepping out of the cage. It's not easy becoming aware of who we really are. We use sterile terms to describe it. Total depravity. It's a great term. It just doesn't provoke the heart. (laughs) It's a term that means that every molecule in you is dead. Everyone. Or as Paul says in Ephesians 2, that he has made us alive together with him. Now, as good Americans, we like things to be done this fast. We love going through the McDonald's drive-in, instant rice, one-minute rice, right? It doesn't work that way. When you start to take that step out of the cage, you begin to feel the pain that comes with the joy, if you're willing, to let the Spirit reveal Christ came for a reason. He came for a reason, to redeem. If you need redemption, that means that something is not right. And so all of our lives until glory are one long journey of redemption. That's what it means to come alive. When we're in a cage, we can't see it. Life's pretty comfortable. The psalmist raised that question many times. How come the, how come the non-believers are blessed? They don't know any better. They're the ones that yet haven't experienced that life, that awareness of outside the cage. When we turn to Christ, we step out of the cage And then we have a choice. What are we going to do? We're going to walk that road? It's a very long road. It's a very long road. For those of you that have uh, marriages that are very long in years, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? It takes a long time, long time to build a good marriage. I've said to many of our younger people, just hang in there. There's more to it than hanging in there, but that's the beginning. Don't run. Let us help you. Because as you begin that journey of investing, it takes a very long time to build a marriage that we really like. Isn't it? So the story of Jesus actually demonstrates this whole process. Because you know what? For him to lose disciples was very dishonorable in that world. 
If you're a rabbi and your disciples are walking away, something wrong with you. And he was okay with that. He was okay. He understood that journey of very slowly building a people that would follow him at that pace. You can't hurry maturity. You just can't. It's not possible. You can read every book in the world, and it's not going to help you. That's what I found out when I did my first baptism. All the theology in the world didn't help me when I got flustered. That's what life is like outside the cage. Without the Holy Spirit, we have no idea which way to turn, where to go. We'd have no idea how to make sense. So we use all these great terms. Illumination. He illuminates this text to us. That's true. What does that mean? As we're taking these steps, we begin to understand because he makes it possible for us to understand. That's what life outside the cage is like. You see how important the Holy Spirit is in this process? Now here's the thing about it. He's the silent member of the Trinity which means he's always present, always whispering. He's with you even when you don't know it. When you learn and you make a mistake and you go, I wish I hadn't done that, that's the Holy Spirit. Quietly in the background, as he says in John 3, like the wind, if you didn't have the Holy Spirit, you would have no idea how to navigate life outside the cage. Father, thank you. Thank you for life, true life. Lord, we confess to you that life is sometimes painful. It's not easy becoming aware of who we truly are. It's not. But we know you to be a gracious God. You don't pile it all on at the beginning. You just don't do that. You're very gentle. Sometimes it takes a little bit of force to get us to catch, capture the message. But Lord, I just, as I've watched people in my own life, the awakening process, it's hard, but you are gentle. Thanks for bringing us life. Thanks for waking us up so that we can see the truth so that we know how to interact with our friends who don't yet see, have not yet been awakened to, not, can't yet see that same truth that we see. Help us to be as gentle as you are with our friends. We are so very grateful for you. In your son's name, amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come and take the offering. For those of you that are visitors, let me just say a word of thank you, gratitude. Um, over the years, I think it's 40-something years we've been doing this, uh, you folks have been the ones that have been generous. You make it possible for us to do this venue here. So I just want to say thank you for whatever God puts on your heart to give.